Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. My friend Hiro Boga is back, and today we're talking about lifelong learning. I will circle back with you at the end of my conversation with Hiro. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, Hiro. Thank you for coming back today. Hi, Corinne. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Many, many years ago, it may have been a decade ago, I was at uh, California's governors used to host a women's conference for women and families. And it was a phenomenal conference. And Maria Shriver, actually, when she was first lady, she was running it. And she had Tony Blair and Thomas Friedman come. And they were up on the... It It was great. And the two of them had a conversation. And there were many other sections, but this was on the main stage. And one of the things that they said was the thing that they tell college students or college graduates, the most important thing that they could ever do would be to become a lifelong learner. And they said, you know, and and I remember this when I remember being in college and thinking, once I have these finals done, I'll never have to learn. I'll never have to read. I'll finally be there and I can get paid and I can do work. And Mm -hmm. thinking that that was the end and then I would be in the promised land. And what I have found is I'm really a lifelong learner. And, you know, when I wind up, and I don't want to say master, but when I really have learned something in my bones and I'm really settled with that, I sometimes feel the stirring of, ooh, here's something else I want to explore. And here's something Mm -hmm. else I want to explore. So while there may be this personal quest inside of like, okay, I'll finally have this down and I won't have to have this. And it's not a bad stress. Maybe it's called you stress. I can't remember which term it is, but there's this, there's a bit of tension that goes on because I want to learn mm-hmm. and, and there's that growth that's happening. And with the idea, there's a promise in the back of my head that oh, then you'll be done and you can just sit on the beach and drink <laughs> those blue colored drinks, which is so not my life. Yeah, and it would be you'd get bored so quickly. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, I don't know any, I don't know any child who, um, who isn't intensely curious. At years, some a few years ago, there was a documentary called Babies. I don't know if you saw it. Did you see it? No, but I remember this now that you're bringing it up. Well, it was really interesting because the documentarian, whose name I can't remember now, um, followed, I think it was five or six babies from different cultures around the world. So uh, one was from the Sudan, one was from Mongolia, one was from someplace in the U.S., one was from Japan, and... I don't remember who the fifth one was, or maybe there were just four. No, there was a fifth one, but I can't remember where. Um, And the idea was, you know, in some ways to look at um, what was nature and what was nurture, which 
I always find an odd kind of distinction to make because everything is nature, including nurture. But it, it was really interesting to see how these babies, even though their cultural milieu was so different from each other, uh, and they were definitely shaped by that milieu, in each of them there was an intense curiosity. Now, the Mongolian baby, the mother dealt with the curiosity that, that causes a baby to kind of you know roll over or crawl or uh, by the time they were toddling to run outside and, you know, uh, hang out with the animals. Um, the mother would just wrap this baby really tightly like a little burrito and the baby couldn't move. Whereas the Sudanese mother, the the baby just was on her, you know, person all the time. And then when the baby could crawl, the baby just sort of crawled around in the dirt and and you know drank like like the animals did from pools on all fours with her mouth in the water. And and so what happens when? Like, this is how these children grow and they learn, right? Mm -hmm. We all do. We learn by interacting with our environment, and our environment is constantly teaching us um, and helping to grow us. And so to me, lifelong learning is, you know, it's built into that innate drive to, to explore our world, to be, curious about our world, but also to be changed by our world, right? Mm -hmm. And that notion that learning is um, separate from the rest of our lives, that it's something we enter into, it has a beginning and a middle and an end, and then we're done. And then, like you said, you get to lie on the beach and drink blue drinks. Uh, is such a peculiar notion because it doesn't match any uh, reality. I mean, it matches certain kinds of realities, you know, the realities of entering into, say, a, a, a degree program. Yes, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to the degree program, but it is one very limited environment in which learning happens. And there's learning that happens all the time. I mean, I remember I was just in Germany for a couple of weeks, and the first night I remember waking up in the middle of the night to, to get up to go pee, and I almost fell off the bed because I was sleeping on the side, on a different side of the bed than I sleep on when I'm at home. And it took that sort of startling awake from almost falling off for me to learn, oh yeah, you know, I am in a I'm in a different environment, and this environment requires me to turn over onto my left side to get out of bed, not onto my right side. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's that it, it's that like we, if we pay attention, there's a constant adaptation uh, that takes place that happens at the intersection between ourselves and the ecology in which our lives exist. Um, and that notion that, you know, that we, we have to fix, we have to have a fixed 
end state after which no more learning needs to take place, as though learning were a choice. It's not a choice. It is, it is really a biological imperative. It's also a cultural imperative, you know. I mean, if we stop learning, um, not only will we die out or succumb to, um, to the things that, that exist in our environment that are going to urge us onwards, but we'll also get really bored really quickly. I mean, I can't imagine not learning. It just changes form. Like for me, you know, there was a time in my life when a lot of the learning that I did came through um, putting myself through certain kinds of experiences. So there was a period of a decade or so where um, I went to um, meditation retreats, you know, and they would be long, a month, two months, three months of sitting um, in in silent meditation for 14, 15 hours a day and not speaking to anybody. Um, so it was very much an interior exploration. Other kinds of learning, I mean, I have three degrees, so, you know, they were academic in nature. And, um, and, and now I find, I read, I read a lot. Um, I read with pen in hand and I make notes and, um, you know, and I have little sticky tabs all over my books <laughs> and <laughs> all of that. But all of it keeps me, it's like an ongoing conversation between myself and my world. And that conversation keeps me uh, enlivened and happy and engaged and excited to be here because I'm discovering something new, not just about the world, but also about myself through it. And ultimately to me that that willingness to learn is the willingness to be changed by what we encounter. And I think stagnation, by definition, is that desire not to be changed by the world, which is absurd in some ways because the world is going to change us whether we like it or not. You know? Don't you think that that desire for stagnation is because of fear? Sure it is. Sure it is. I mean, it's that fear of, oh my gosh, you know, how is this going to change me? Here I have finally ordered my world exactly the way that I want it. And if I allow something to enter into it that's going to disrupt my carefully constructed world, then I have no idea what's going to happen. And I have no idea who I will be at the end of that disruption. And this, you know, this, I mean, it's, it's like anything else, I think. There's, this, there's always this negotiation between the need for stability and structure, because without stability, without things that remain constant, relatively constant, uh, there can be no growth and change. You know, we need stability in order to grow, in order to learn, in order to change. Uh, it, 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 
I remember some years ago I was in in um in India um at an Ayurvedic retreat and the retreat place was in this gorgeous place on a lake, um kind of up in the hills and when you went down onto the, there was a road construction going on down below, and road construction there is very much a, a low tech thing, you know. So there were these families camped on the side of the road, and they are transient. They go wherever the roads are being constructed, so they travel all over the country, and everybody from the men to the little toddlers has a job to do. And some of the little kids, their job was to break stones. Like they would, you know, the, those are the, they, they'd crush stones by hand, by hammering smaller stones with bigger rocks. And then that would be what, what made the bed of the road before, you know, the truck would come in and, and kind of cover it with tar and then with, uh, and, and create asphalt and tarmac. So these kids never got an education because they were never in one place long enough to learn. So if you have that kind of constant disruption, you can't learn them. Obviously, they're still learning. They're learning those skills, but it's a very narrow skill set. And their opportunities to learn are limited by by that nomadic lifestyle. Um, so you need some kind of stability. You need some continuity within which learning can happen uh, more optimally than others. But if you mistake the nature of that stability, that its function is to hold growth and learning, and if you make it into its own um, goal or its own end rather than the means to an end, um, then then you get scared, you get afraid because you somehow identify what holds you with, with the safety of your world. And then, you know, it's like bureaucracies, right? That they're aim becomes to perpetuate themselves rather than to serve. And if, if, if you kind of hang on to the notion that what holds you is what, is what keeps you safe um, and that disruption of it is going to destroy your life, then you're going to fight against your own natural organic need and desire to learn. And that fear comes up all the time, you know. It's so interesting. So that, I think that's where we really need each other. One of the things that happened when I was in Germany was my friend Jen Loudon was there with me, and we went to one of the days that we were there, we went to this place um, that had mineral springs. And so there were these big pools of, of warm water. I don't swim. I'm talking to you. I'm <laughs> going swimming is your life, and I don't swim. Uh, and because I had had this hip surgery, I was still walking with a cane. The decks uh, were wet and slippery, and I could feel myself like tight, 
tightening up, which is not a useful way to approach something new, right? Um, so I got in the water, left the cane there, and and I wasn't sure how I was going to manage without a cane. And Jen, bless her heart, just put her hands out. And so it wasn't like she was supporting me, but she just held my hands and walked backwards through the water, swam backwards through the water. And then I could move forward until I got comfortable enough that I realized, oh yeah, this is not so scary after all. You know, I have a way to move through the water without my cane because the water holds me. It has a different, it offers a different specific gravity and it offers a kind of support that doesn't exist for me on land. And then she could let go of my hands and I was okay. So sometimes we need that bridging, you know, that, that, that when, for me, when I'm scared of something new, it's always a reminder that I need the right support. If I have the right support, then I can bridge that gap between where I am and where I need to be for the learning to happen with ease. I think that's so important being able to bridge that gap and knowing the support because so often we think we have to do it alone and that's just not true. Is it? No. And some things have to be done alone. Like, so, you know, earlier this week, like a couple of days ago, um, I have been walking now without a cane just in my neighborhood and, every couple of days going a block or a block and a half further, always bearing in mind the fact that I have to make myself, I have to get back and I don't know how far I can walk without a cane yet. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, it's, it's learning both about my capacity and about the terrain around me because my capacity also depends on, am I going uphill? Am I going downhill? Am I on a flat plane? And then I just, had this feeling in me that, okay, today I am going to go I'll take my cell phone in case I need to call 911, but I am just going to go and I am not going to think about whether I need to turn around or not. I am going to do this loop and I'm going to trust my body. And I went, I walked for an hour um, up and down fairly hilly terrain. Uh, There was no turning back, you know, because I was committed. Once I was committed to going, I had to keep going because I had to get myself back home. And there was nowhere really to sit. It's an, it, you know, it's, it's all city streets. So there are no benches or anything to sit on. Um, and I made it and I was so happy and it wasn't something anybody else could have done for me. It was something I had to do for myself. So I think there are stages in learning that require us to be to lean on other people, to, to, you know, to let people support us. And then there are stages where we have to do it for ourselves. And, but even so, like with, with that example, you had your phone with you just in case you would need to be able to reach out. And yeah. And I mean, I have no idea, you know, it would, the phone would be in case I had a heart attack while I was (laughs) walking, I could phone for an ambulance, (laughs) but that was about it. It was, yeah, I think there's always, and, and, and you just, you know, you need to pay attention to what it is you need to feel safe enough in order to learn. 
in order to put yourself in those situations of instability and not knowing. Mm-hmm. So the, it's that balance. It's finding, okay, what do I need to feel safe enough to do this? Mm-hmm. Whatever this is, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the next unknown is, right? Mm-hmm. Something you said earlier that I want to circle back to is that um, I believe that, and there, this, I'll just speak for myself, that there were times, and probably more when I was in university, that learning was a chore. And when I experience now learning from a place of curiosity, there can still be the the struggle to understand a new concept or remember or what whatever it may be, you know, really to be able to learn it in my bones and really have a deep mm-hmm. understanding. But it doesn't have that draining of energy that when I thought of learning as a chore, which was probably for me wrapped up in perfectionism, like, oh, I have to get, you know, an A on this test or an A on this paper. And, and then, you know, that was such a shame trigger for me. And then I would freeze um, mm. versus with me about like learning from a place of curiosity of, and I really, I remember probably eight or 10 years ago, I thought, wow, life is a classroom. There's so much learning to be done, whether it's from reading books, having conversations, watching people interact. And then the other part that I've really developed personally is having time to reflect and to really think and even like look back at something and unpack it and take a look at it. I mean, there's so much learning. So sometimes the learning doesn't even happen in that moment of whatever the situation may be. It may be a day or a week later when I've had some time to really process it and really learn. And and if, especially if something hasn't gone the way that I intended to, is for me to learn from that so that the next time I can do it differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, I mean, again, it's that that there is there are these. I think there, you know, there, there are phases of learning, and integration is very much a phase of learning. So again, for me, you know, right now it's all about this physical healing that's happening and why I, part of why I was, well, the reason I was in Germany was to um, go to a clinic um, that it, 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 it specializes in natural approaches uh, to Lyme disease, which is what I had initially gone there for last summer. Uh, so this was my second time there, and there was, you know, there was learning happening in my body. It was like my cells were learning how to how to take in nutrients in a different way, how to uh, release um, kind of toxic loads that had been held within them from years of, of having had Lyme disease. Um, and and all of that learning was happening. It was very intense. I had intended when I first when I went there because I was going to be there for two weeks. I thought, well, I'll take my laptop. I'll get a bunch of writing done. And it became really clear very quickly that there was no, you know, there was there was no energy for that. That I would go in the morning. I'd have a couple of hours of treatment. I'd come home. I wasn't tired. It wasn't like I needed to nap or anything. Uh, but I needed not to use my energy for 
brain things, but thinky things, uh, because it was all going into this new learning that was happening in my cells and in in my in my cellular structure. Uh, and I, I've that I, like I've noticed that since I came back. So I've allowed myself lots and lots of time between things, like tons of time. It doesn't. It may not make sense to anybody else, but I know for myself that this is what I need to integrate when shifts happen on a physical level, because that's the densest energetic level on which things can change. You know, the physical is plastic, but it, in the sense that it can change, but it takes longer uh, to change than than thoughts or than feelings or than other aspects of energy. So I give myself tons of time because, as you said, it's like that that reflective time, that time to integrate, to anchor those changes. Um, can't happen if you're flying along at your normal pace. So for me anyway, I you know, what I what I tell my students, what I encourage in my clients is simply to be clear, yeah, I am entering a period of intense learning, whether that intense learning is, as in my case, learning through healing and physical change, or it's a period of, you know, uh, say you're training for for uh, a swim meet or training for an Olympic event or you're in a PhD program and you're in the process of writing your thesis, uh, that you give yourself time because whatever learning you're doing, it's going to take time to filter in and to find its place in the inner ecology of your being. Because everything, any change makes everything change, right? You can't change one thing without everything changing. So, yeah, I think that integration time is an essential aspect of learning. Without it, the learning is incomplete or it's only partial. It hasn't completed its particular cycle. And and that's something that I found because I was so good at keeping myself so busy and uh, was I could have the quite the intellectual understanding, but that integration wasn't there. And before we got on this uh, call, um, we were talking about my winter and that's exactly when we, when my daughter and I were starting the physical therapy that we were doing, there was so much energy that went there that it diminished my capacity for energy for other areas. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm continuously learning and trying and in understanding and it just, for me, that time, I I had to tell myself a long time ago, I don't know, this is probably 2011 or so. I just realized I was a slow learner, which may sound condescending, but for me, it was such an important, it was like such an important permission because mm-hmm. I valued at understanding things quickly, getting things done quickly, being efficient. Mm-hmm. And that created a lot of stress for versus when I said, okay, I'm a slow learner. I will get this. And I just know because I noticed a pattern. It took me time to get the integration, right? And mm-hmm. even with my physical therapy, it takes me time to mm-hmm. remember the, the different body parts or, you know, remember the exercises and what are the different pivot points. And I keep going back. And that 
that that permission to be a slow learner is actually a very compassionate thing for myself instead yeah. of beating myself up that I should have already had it. Well, the thing is, we are all slow learners, you know, <laughs> because learning happens. I mean, it's, it's, learning is more like an archaeological dig than, than, you know, than like a, a, a leap and a hop. Learning happens in layers, right? And the fastest part of us is our, is our, soul and our mind, those are the words of fast, like I can think, um, I can imagine myself over where you are, you're in California, right? Mm -hmm. I can imagine myself there and I'm there. But if I want to get there physically, I'm going to have to clear a room in my calendar. I'm going to have to make sure that I coordinated with you that, that I don't just sort of show up on your doorstep expecting you to be there. I'll have to buy a plane ticket. Uh, you know, there's like a, the, 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 the amount of time that it takes to physically get there is completely different from the amount of time that it takes to imaginatively get there. And it's the same with learning. It's like the learning that happens energetically and, and, and spiritually happens instantaneously. The learning that happens intellectually isn't instantaneous, but it's much faster than the learning that happens emotionally and physically. Mm-hmm. The, and yet learning, that same piece of learning has to happen across the entire spectrum of our being because if it doesn't, then one part of you has gone zooming ahead while other parts of you are left behind saying, wait for me, where have you gone? You know, and that's where, where, that's where freakouts happen. That's where people get really scared because one part of them has gone way, way, way ahead and hasn't taken the time to make sure that, that they move as a whole. So when I was younger, um, I you know I, I have a genius level IQ. I have a ninety nine point nine percent percentile IQ, and so I I had a photographic memory, and everything came to me instantaneously. It came to me instantaneously on a soul level. It came to me instantaneously intellectually. But I had no life experience to anchor those intellectual learnings in. And so there was this split, you know, and I mean, the split is there in all children, right? They are big beings. They have tremendous soul power, but they don't yet have the life experience to anchor that soul power in or to anchor that soul wisdom in, and that's what those years of childhood and growing up are about. So as I got older, my I became a slower and slower learner because my value system changed, which is what I think I'm hearing you say too, which is, you know, it's like I want to move as a whole, which means not necessarily moving at the pace of the slowest part of me, but moving at a pace that that allows and invites every part of me to move together 
not leaving any part of myself behind. And I think that that, that when, you, when you can learn to learn in that way, um, it's the most satisfying, useful kind of learning. I agree. I, I feel so much more grounded in learning in that way. And, and I've also become more protective of my space to, um, to allow for that integration and that reflection. I, I just got back from a trip in Southern California and been pretty going and I have meetings today and then tomorrow and then Sunday I have it open. And while there's some friends that I really want to see, I need that space that day to just unpack the past couple of weeks to be with myself and just to even not do anything, you know, and maybe do some reading, but have really nothing scheduled that day is going to be really important for me setting up the upcoming week. And that's such a huge change from say 10 years ago when I was constantly mm. trying to pack in every single moment of the day. And especially yeah. a weekend. Yeah. Well, I think that's wisdom, you know. It's it's just that growth of wisdom. We learn we learn to trust the pace of our bodies. We learn the wisdom of wholeness, the wisdom of spaciousness. Um especially in this culture, there's there's such a value placed on cramming as much as possible into the shortest amount of time possible. Um, and I just think my body doesn't move at that pace. If I have just flown from here to Europe in a nine-hour time span, it's so alien to my Aboriginal body. You know, which moves at the pace of my feet, right? Mm-hmm. So I have to give myself that time and also that communication to say, hey, you know, we're here. We're in this completely new place. Here are the, some things that are the same. Here are the, some things that are different. And it's that communication that allows adaptation to take place without... Um, without creating a gap between the pace at which my body can handle something and the pace at which technology will handle it, right? I definitely do a lot of checking in with myself and with my energy and uh, with my brain power, um, depending on what it, whatever it is that I'm going to be working on. So if I need my brain power to do work, I check in with that and and it's never to rationalize or to justify anything. I just, I check in and I I have over, I don't know, but over the last several years really worked on managing that better because uh-huh. then the quality of my learning or the quality of creating content, whatever it is that I'm doing, coaching my uh-huh. clients is is so much more viable. And so I become more receptive to that, but I really have to go in and check in and where am I instead of thinking, well, it's four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon and I should be working and what's wrong with me? You know, yeah. I need to look at, okay, where does my, how do I feel inside? What's my capacity? And, and so sometimes that means, you know, and like today was an instance, I get up at 5.30 in the morning 
to get some things done because there may not have been that capacity at a different time mm-hmm. this week. And, and mm-hmm. so I do check in with that instead of it being a clock thing. It's more of an internal drive of how do I feel with the reality? Because I want people to understand there's still, I still have the realities of deadlines. So mm-hmm. it's not that I'm just, oh, I'll blow off this deadline. But there's that maneuvering between where I am and what mm-hmm. needs to get done. Yeah. And it's like, you know, yes, there I mean, we are circumscribed by external deadlines, but we also, especially those of us who um, are entrepreneurs for a living, you know, that that we have more freedom than we think we have to determine the shape of our calendars. There's always a trade-off, you know, you may, there's a cost for that freedom, um, but you can choose not to pack your world with, so much that there is no room for that optimal flow of of learning that happens all through the day and the optimal flow of integration that happens at the same time. So, so much of it is really knowing ourselves and knowing what really supports our lives and what supports our our growth and our learning and and then creating, choosing to create those conditions that um, that can hold that and support that and nourish that. One more thing I want to say about learning that I think was really important for me is um, I I tend to look at a course of a year like where where is my, where do I want my focus to be on. What do I want to, you know, be my primary focus? And so a few years ago, I can't even remember when it was, but I'm sure the listeners have heard these stories, is I, I didn't know how to cook, Hero. And I mean, I could do basic stuff like scrambled eggs or pancakes or, you know, mm-hmm. pasta, and then I pour ragu out of a jar. And, um, but that was, that was, I didn't, I didn't touch raw meat or any of that stuff. And so I mm-hmm. had decided that I freaked out way too much in the kitchen and I, do, I wanted too much perfectionism. And my daughter, who's now 16, has loved to cook since she was little. And so I wasn't my best parenting self in there because of all this fear. So I decided I was going to learn. And so I spent that year, you know, getting, there was a huge gap in my comfort zone in that. And it was interesting to watch people who knew me in other arenas of my life to see mm-hmm. all of my stuff come up, but I was so uncomfortable in there and I was so afraid of making a mistake. There's like this constant theme for me. And I remember I brought flip cameras. My So I had some friends that would teach me and they were very kind and compassionate friends who would teach me. And now I'm to, the, and I remember a friend of mine, her husband said, well, you could just get a cookbook. And I looked at him like, there's just no way I can take what's on a cookbook. And actually I need somebody to hold my hand because that's where I was. Now mm-hmm. I'm much more comfortable. I can pull up a recipe and try it out and remind myself that it's okay. If it doesn't turn out well, you know, we won't have it again. Um, so I've been able to take that, like that newbie energy that I had in cooking and apply it into something else that I want to yeah. learn for this year. Yeah, it becomes much, much less scary to learn when you know how to learn how to learn. Mm-hmm. When I was in my mid-40s, I went back to university. Like I already had one degree and I went back and got 
two more. Um, and the, you know, I went back for creative writing, which was completely different from my first degree, which was in psychology. And everybody that was in class, that I was in classes with was you know, like, they were in their late teens and early twenties, you know? Um, and for me, like the first while I felt like I'd been dropped into some completely alien <laughs> landscape. It was, it was not just that they were so young. It was also that, um, that their life experience and what they were writing about and what they were concerned about was completely different from, from mine. And yet, you know, just, and it was, it was uncomfortable. It was really uncomfortable for the first while. Um, But it was in that discomfort that I wrote some of my best work because there was enough stability in my grown-up life, not my non-student life, um, to hold that discomfort. And there was enough discomfort in the student life to break open uh, and let light into places that had become complacent or... um, you know, we just sort of, we adapt so quickly to things that we stop noticing them. And I think that bringing that, that beginner's mind into all of our interactions is such a useful thing. It's such, um, it's also a joyful thing, right? It restores us to that sense of wonder without which nothing else matters very much. Uh, yes, I love that beginner's mind and giving ourselves that gift of having that. Op- yeah. It opens up so much space. So Yeah, well, I've just learned so much from our conversation today, which has been quite wonderful. Good, so have I. I'm glad we're talking about this because... This, this idea of being a lifelong learner is so important. And it goes, I go back to what I said earlier with Tony Blair and Thomas Friedman. And when they, this idea that we're always going to be learning. And, and sometimes we may be learning about things that we never thought we would or we would have wanted to because maybe our health comes into factor. And so that opens up a door that we didn't know that we needed to learn. Um, or, you know, I've learned a lot about the spine over the last 15 years, but really, especially in the last probably 12 months because of my daughter. And um, and so I, I just think this ability to learn and to give yourself that space to be a lifelong learner and letting it, for me, again, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because I was just in academia for so long, letting go of the ivory towers of a university or a college or a high school. And the fact that learning is essential for us evolving. Yeah. Plus it's fun. It is. Well, I think it's fun it when, is really fun <laughs> when you're in that place of curiosity. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're in that place, like I can see my kids think, you know, they're both in high school and they don't, it's interesting because sometimes it's a chore and, but my older daughter is definitely getting into it to being a bit more fun. But I think it's because mm-hmm. there's so much outcome pressure in our society, yeah. right? 
It's not an environment. Most schools are not an environment conducive to learning, and and it's not necessarily the fault of the schools. I mean, when anytime you're teaching um, a group of people, in some way you have to um, teach in a kind of aggregate fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it it just doesn't. There isn't room in that structure for individuals and the ways in which they individually learn. I was really lucky when I was a kid, I mean, all through my school years, you know, from kindergarten right through high school, I went to a private girls' school. And because I read so much, you know, and we were in the British school system, so we had, there were no semesters. We had once sort of set of courses that went all year long and we'd get our books for the year at the beginning of the year. And within two weeks, I had read all of them. <laughs> um, so if if they had forced me to continue at the pace at which the rest of the class was going, I would have hated learning too. I would have thought it was the most boring thing in the world. But they didn't do that. They just let me do what I wanted to do, which was so as, you know, each thing that I read would lead me on a quest through other things, and I'd have piles of books that I was reading that took me further and further away from whatever that core thing was that seeded that particular intellectual inquiry. Uh, But I'd sit, you know, I'd sit, we had desks that had lids that lifted up, and I'd sit with my book open, whatever the book was that I was reading, in the back of the class with my head under this lid, and they would just let me do that. (laughs) So I got a really good education as a result of it. But I, you know, when I look at where my kids went to school, they just, there wasn't, the, the environment wasn't conducive to learning. It just wasn't. It was dead, a dead environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really sad. No, I, I think learning, what it's all about results and um, my my husband calls it, it's about being trained monkeys, learn how to take yeah. the test, but not learn how to learn, you know, learning content, learning information. It's just about the learning how to get the outcome you want. Yeah. And it's not, it's not learning for the, it, 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 there's no, um, there's no encouragement for learning for the joy of learning. Mm-hmm. And without joy, nothing really sticks, you know? Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. important. That's really, really important. Okay. Well, Hero, thank you so much for coming. This has been just another great conversation with you. So I just love this and I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, my dear. I always love talking with you and I always leave with my mind expanded and my heart more open. So mm-hmm. thank you. Well, thank you. Until next time. Indeed. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, I just love my conversations with Hero Boga, and I know you do too. So thanks so much for listening about our conversation of lifelong learning. And I love what she said about we learn by interacting with our environment. And that's so important. Think about it. Life, your, your life is a classroom. 
Where are those moments where you can learn? Where are those opportunities? It doesn't have to be in a formal setting of a university or in a classroom. And the other thing that she said that I thought was so important is our environment is constantly teaching us. And I like that versus life is happening to me, um, bad things happen to me, but our environment is teaching us, what can I learn from this? What am I here to learn? And that is always the question I ask once I can get through my pity party. Once I, once I do get through my pity party, not once I can, but I ask myself, what am I here to learn? And that goes from instead of being in the shame or this fearful place, it goes into compassion and curiosity. And then it also allows me to tap into my resourcefulness and use my entire brain to figure out how to move through this situation, this circumstance. So I really like that question. When is this experience teaching me? And I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things that as Hero was speaking, I jotted some notes down. This idea that about lifelong learning and learning from a place of joy, from a place of curiosity, that's really the growth mindset. And if you notice throughout this conversation with Hero, I would default into that perfectionism, right? That is, and even with all the work that I do and all this about shame resilience and letting go of perfectionism, because perfection is the birthplace of shame, that is such hardwired programming in the back of my head, in my subconscious mind. And I have to give myself permission that I don't have to do it perfectly. I mean, even with the example of dinner, cooking dinner, this happened probably in the fall. And I was making something that I hadn't made before. And I think it was some expensive meat or something. I can't even remember. And part of me went, what if I mess up? (laughs) That's my default. And I said, well, it's okay. We, we can still eat it. And if it's really, really bad, I guess we could throw it out and we, I can learn from this. And going back to being able to learn from something instead of having to do it perfectly or having to be amazing right off the gate is, is so important in my own lifelong learning process. And that comes from having a growth mindset. And it is a practice because when I interviewed, I've interviewed Carol Dweck a few times And of course, you know, you read her book mindset and you just want, you want to be all the right things in the books, right? Whoever you're talking to, whoever the expert is, you're like, I want to be there. And then there can be shame of that you're not. And there's that gap. And one of the things that she said to me, she said, Corinne, nobody is all growth or all fixed mindset. There's, there's a range. And then certain arenas that we're in, we may tend towards fixed and we may tend towards growth. And that's why I learned how to cook because in the arena of the kitchen, I was a fixed mindset because I had so much fear around the kitchen. And so I, and, but I have a growth mindset, especially around the swimming pool. I'm very growth mindset, you know, with my clients, I'm very growth mindset. So it was interesting that me being the same person in different arenas in my life, I could either be growth or fixed. And so for me, it's about developing more areas of my life into growth mindset. And it, it comes from a committed practice. And that means I'm commit to being present. I commit to reflecting. I commit to being curious. And I can tell you this, there are days that 
not any of those things. There are moments that I'm not any of those things. And I also give myself the grace of that being okay. And I check in with myself, what is the cost to me to not be that way? And that usually motivates me to go back and be curious. Because when I'm my best self, I'm usually much more curious. So the growth mindset, right, is rooted in wholeheartedness. It's rooted in compassion, this willingness to, to look at ourselves and own our stories and go, what do I need to learn? What could I have done better? And it can even be in conversations. You know, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the last year with the word cancer in it. And while I really want the right way to have to talk with somebody about cancer who has cancer, there isn't a script. But one of the things that I do is after every conversation I have, I now unpack it and I check in with myself. And there have been times that I circle back and check in with the person I talked with to, to see like, you know, or apologize for something that I may have said to try to fix something because I don't want to fix anybody. But I circle back. But there's there's so much learning. And what I know for sure is that compared to two years ago or three years ago now, when I was first having these conversations with friends and loved ones, I really feel like more grounded in the my ability to have conversations. And it's been in the learning. It's been in the curiosity of asking people who have had cancer what's okay, what's not okay. And, and I'm constantly learning, checking in with me of what do I like when I'm going through a difficult time and what do I adamantly can't stand? There are certain phrases that I can't stand. One of them is, oh, when one door closes, another door opens. I don't, that, just, that for me is not a good one. For, some, for you, it may be a fantastic one. So keep it. For me, it just wasn't a good one. So I don't say that when somebody has comes to me and says they have cancer. So I have been figuring out things and I have been learning and I love being a lifelong learner. And then there are times where I'm like, okay, I've done enough learning. I need to have a bit of a break. And I notice that about myself too. So instead of thinking, cause I can, I, I'm kind of fanatic. And so I can get into that place of, oh, it must be 24 seven, you know, more is better but that doesn't help me either because there's just too much content and integration is really, really important to me. So I give you that with coming from a place of curiosity, allowing yourself to make mistakes, you know, practicing a growth mindset, committing to what it is that you want to learn, giving yourself the appropriate amount of time for space. What I'd like to do because I, I still can jam in a lot is I like to you know, estimate the, the amount of time and then double it because I like to have space. I like to have buffer. I do not do well when it's a s- small condensed period of time. And again, if you've listened to my show last year when I was in the process of buying a car, I gave myself six months. Not that I needed six months, but I gave myself that space because I do better with space. And it wasn't every week, weekend or whatever that I was going to buy the car. I can't even remember. It's a handful of times, I think, that I went out. But it was a period, of, instead of saying, I have to get it done this weekend or I have to get it every weekend this month, I'm going to go, that I can feel tightness. So for me, it was, you know, when there was an opening on a Saturday, I would go 
and I, but I had that space. I kind of knew when I was starting November that around April is when I'd like to have it done. And that's exactly when I got it done and I got my car. So I really work on giving myself space and that can be challenging for somebody who likes efficiency and productivity. Those are things that I really hold my head high on, but I know that space is really important and giving myself the space to practice. And I know from the work that I do, and I know that, you know, I just have so much evidence with teaching people how to swim or coaching kids. You may not know how to swim, but if you practice, you will learn how to swim. And I used to tell this to my students who used to take uh, beginning swimming at the college. It may take you a semester. It may take you two, especially if you have a lot of fears, but you will learn how to swim. And here's the standard. So for those of you who might be interested, the standard for swimming is to be proficient where you can swim for 10 minutes with side breathing and you have a proper air exchange. And so what when I was in my prime, because I'm not a swimmer anymore, but when I was in my prime, what I could do in 10 minutes versus me as a 44-year-old middle-aged woman, what I could do versus maybe somebody who's a brand new newbie who's coming into the pool at 44, very, very different on how many laps, but that's not, it's can you swim for the length with the appropriate side breathing? I, I, I digress there a bit, but lifelong learning, I just invite you to explore this concept of lifelong learning and whatever it may be. Maybe you like to make wood boats and that's your learning avenue. There's so much learning. As parents, we're constantly lifelong learners. It's one of the hardest things we have to do. In our jobs, yes, the world is changing and we can come at it from a fear base or we can say, wow, how is this adapting and what am I willing to learn? Do I want to be somebody who hasn't changed in 30 years? Or do I want to learn and see what else is out there and maybe add to it? And and the fun thing is that when you get to a certain level of mastery, it's about finding, you don't need to relearn whole new things and maybe a few new tools to your toolbox, so to speak. So learning from a place of joy. And as Hero said, I loved what she said at the end there that In order for learning to stick, there must be joy. So we can make learning a chore. And why do I want to do this? Or we can, you know, we can be inquisitive and curious and joyful. One of the things that I have decided to do for 2017 is I really want to, especially with the stuff that's happening in the United States, I really want to understand more about politics. So I'm learning, I'm being open, I'm having conversations with people I've subscribed to a lot of journalism. I'm listening more to the radio, which I haven't done. So I'm opening up my frame of reference because I want to learn. So I have a better understanding because while I understood some things to a certain level, there were many things I didn't understand. So I'm willing to learn and I'm putting, I've made choices to allow that to occur. I invite you to think about what is it for this year that you want to learn about. And it doesn't have to be done perfectly. And giving yourself the space and the permission to, you know, make mistakes, nothing too detrimental. Hopefully there's there's appropriate boundaries, right? But what do you want to learn? And go and pursue that for yourself and practice it. And maybe you need to seek out a mentor or, you know, find resources and go and explore. And the one thing I would always invite you to do is go back and check in. Check in. Does this resonate with me? Does this align with my values? 
And that's so important. I mean, one of the things that I do when I'm working with people or the people that are on my team, like for my back, very much aligned with their values. And I am 100% committed and I will attempt, because physically sometimes I can't exactly do everything they expect me to do, but I'm working on it. So hopefully in a year I'll be there. And I'm committed and I work on it and I ask questions when I don't understand. And sometimes asking questions when you don't understand, you need to tap into being brave and that's okay. So I invite you, what do you want to be a lifelong learner about? Or what do you want to learn about to for this year to continue to cultivate lifelong learning in your life? Think about that. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email what you're going to do. Because that will be so much fun to hear what you're going to be practicing and learning. I want to do a big shout out. We have iTunes uh, shout outs now to Hooray JF uh, for leaving an iTunes review. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys were almost there. We're almost at a hundred in the U S and I know we have, we're past a hundred when you go into the other countries. So please go and leave them. I'll be tapping into other countries soon and doing shout outs there. love that we have a worldwide listenership and sign up for the weekly newsletter at how she really does it.com. And we can connect there as well. It's that's just a great way to reply back to me because you just, uh, hit reply when I send it out on Fridays and I get your email in my inbox and then you don't have to figure out how to do it on my website. So until next time, I'm smiling big for you. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wild.